Hello, welcome to the Friday, July 12, 2019 edition of the Sands and Storm Center's Stormcast. My name is Johannes Ulrich and today I'm recording from London, England. Well, I'm here in London teaching the Security 503 Intrusion Detection In-Depth class and students always ask in this class where they can find more packet captures in order to practice their skills. One resource I always redirect them to is Pratt Duncan's diaries on our Internet Storm Center page and he today published yet another one of his famous malware walkthroughs. The latest one deals with the ASO RALT malware and in this case he was actually able based on a tweet to discover an open directory on a web server that did contain some of this malware. In this case the malware took the form of an ISO file. Now, he has talked about ISO files before. They're, of course, nice vehicles in order to deliver malicious files. In this case, an executable is contained inside the ISO that then executes and launches the malware. As usual, Brad makes available the packet capture as well as malware samples. So that's great for you to practice with and hone your packet analysis skills. And then we got an update on the Zoom software for Mac OS. Now there is a patch available for this software now and Apple actually collaborated with Zoom in order to also delete this buggy web server that earlier versions of Zoom installed from Macs. Uh, Apple did this using their antivirus engine that's built into Mac OS by essentially instructing it that this particular web server is malicious and giving it instructions to remove this web server. If you're running the updated version of Zoom, you should recognize that it will prompt you before it's being started. One reason that the older version of Zoom did rely on this somewhat suspect web server was in order to avoid this prompt. And one of the features added in the latest version of Watch OS was the walkie-talkie feature for the Apple Watch. Well, Apple has now moved ahead and disabled this feature for the Apple Watch because apparently it did allow eavesdropping without notifying the user. At this point, it isn't clear how this eavesdropping is being triggered. Apple just stated that this bug was reported via its vulnerability portal and that currently there is no evidence that this vulnerability has been exploited. This feature essentially uses the FaceTime protocol and we did have an eavesdropping vulnerability in FaceTime last year. So certainly possible that this is sort of a follow-up vulnerability that just affects watch OS. And Pixie Boot or the Preboot Execution Environment is often used on devices that are loading their entire operating system image 
AdBoot from a network server. Now, if you applied the latest update from Microsoft released earlier this week, you may have experienced issues if you are relying on this method to boot your system. The error message that you would receive is a status 0xc000001 error and that would then prevent the system from booting. Microsoft now published a knowledge base article with workarounds and further detail as to which particular updates and which particular Windows versions are affected it appears to mostly affect Windows Server but Windows 10 version 1709 is affected as well. And well, it's Friday again, and today I have with me SDI student Sean Goodwin. So, Sean, why don't you introduce yourself? Sure, Sean Goodwin. I'm a senior consultant with Wolf & Company, uh, working as a third-party uh, assessor for various cybersecurity projects, and I'm about halfway through my SANS STI experience. So cool. And uh, you recently wrote a research paper. That's why we have you here. Could you tell us a little bit about that research paper? Yeah. So my paper was looking at using Security Onion as a way to try and detect attackers inside of your network with a specific focus on small and mid-sized businesses. A lot of the clients I work with tend to fall into that space. And then being an avid reader of the Verizon data breach reports, that really looked like that was an area that's struggling in detecting attackers. Uh, so what I wanted to do was try and find a low-cost uh, or ideally free solution that would also allow for an organization to get something up and running with minimum customization and be able to detect a good amount of these attacks. Security Onion, it's really sort of built around IDS technology, Suricata, Snort, Pro, and such, and sort of aggregating the logs also. Typically, it's not really associated with minimum effort, uh, in particular for a small business. Usually, there's a lot of customization involved around this. What tricks did you come up with? What did you sort of find to make that uh, work better for a small business? Certainly, yeah. So the first thing I did was wanted to reduce the, again, complexity of that. So we looked at just host-based logging and alerting uh, using the WAZA dashboards within Security Onion. Uh, so I did note we are leaving a lot on the table by not using any of those network monitoring tools, uh, but we were hoping... Uh, that we could look at Security Onion and host-based logs and try and detect uh, a lot of these attacks. And the attacks we were looking at focused on known uh, TTPs, really relying on the MITRE attack framework to drive what sort of incidents we would look for. Uh, and what that came down to is uh, we kind of scoped down to looking at three key attack uh, areas, execution, via PS exec, looking at past the hash attacks, and then looking at the collection of files, uh, essentially getting ready to exfiltrate uh, sensitive data. Let's talk a bit about the last one, the data exfiltration. So you know, that's usually something where you would use a network-based IDS uh, in order to detect uh, data exfiltration. What did you find there in, the, in your host-based logs that would help you detect data exfiltration? As far as defining the audit policy for the Windows machines we are looking at, uh, Malware Archaeology, uh, the folks over there have a really nice set of guidance for defining audit logs that maps back to the attack framework. 
Uh, but what I found was that, you know, just looking at the host-based logs, that sort of uh, unauthorized or suspicious file activity is going to be uh, extremely hard, if not impossible, to detect with default rule sets. Uh, Security Onion does have a really nice uh, ability to build out custom rules and alerts through those dashboards. Uh, so as far as the file collection goes, that's really uh, what you'd have to do is identify um, certain shares that may have sensitive data that you'd want to monitor uh, and or certain users that you may be able to flag on. Uh, so an example would be dedicated administrative accounts shouldn't necessarily be accessing uh, the finance share unless they're doing something administrative that should be rare enough where that's something you may be able to trigger a mid-level alert for an analyst to take a look at uh, and determine if that's suspicious or not. So that's pretty cool. So you were actually able to come up with a reasonable alerting scheme there. What about false positives? That's, of course, always of the crooks of uh, these systems. And you just mentioned some, some possible legitimate accesses. Any guess or from your experience, uh, how many false positives would a rule like this cost? Or uh, would it be as excessive uh, where some would just stop looking at them? Yeah, and that's certainly the concern I had with building out some of these rules. Uh, and that really is an issue with the attacks I was looking at in this paper where they're the living off the land attacks or abusing legitimate functionality. Uh, so it is you know, a delicate balancing act for administrators. The more granular those rules can get, and you can build out uh, multi-step rules, which I demonstrate an example in the paper, where you can have a tiered approach looking for more and more specific information before actually tr actually triggering the alert. Um, but there still is going to be the chance where you are going to flag a false positive, especially if you're looking at things like file collection or even things like PS exec. If that's something your system administrators are using, you may be able to limit the number of false positives by building in things like looking for their dedicated administrative machine and the IP address for the source uh, and looking at things like that to tailor the number of event logs that are actually going to trigger the alert. Uh, but there still will be those few cases that you'll have to chase down. And what I really liked about the paper was actually the fact that you, you know, it didn't make your life easy. You picked some real attacks not attacks that were easy to detect, which you sometimes find in papers like this uh, that sort of try to make a point, try to prove a tool works, but then don't necessarily use attacks that actually happen these days or that people are worried about. Uh, with respect to the other attacks, uh, any sort of interesting issue that you found? Anything noteworthy as to how these standard rules actually acted or failed to detect uh, these events? I guess set myself up with a challenge looking at um, the living off the land attacks, but I did find none of the default rules triggered high level alerts to the dashboard, but following uh, a combination of the malware archaeology audit policy and the Swift on security Sysmon configuration file, we had every piece of data necessary contained in Security Onion, where if we did detect an incident or some suspicious activity, we were able to go into the dashboard and create some 
search filters to then recreate what had happened. So in the end, you had the data uh, to prove whether or not something is a false positive and actually see what happened in detail then. Exactly. So it wasn't the perfect solution we were looking for, where you'd get an actionable alert raised and can react uh, close to real time. Uh, but we did have the data contained where afterwards we could triage the event, try and figure out what took place uh, and start to clean up if it was a legitimate incident at that point. That's really cool. Uh, so what's next? They're still working on this or uh, what do you think uh, you're up to next? Yeah, so like I said, my work really focuses on external side of things. My next class in the program is actually SEC 505, which seems to blend nicely with, I guess, my newfound interest of the blue team side of things based on this project. So I'm really hoping I can take some things away from the Securing Windows class, uh, either in hardening against some of these attacks or building out a more robust detection set. Well, thanks again for taking the time here to join me on this uh, podcast. Uh, the Windows Sec 505 class should certainly be right up your alley. I understand you'll learn a lot about PowerShell there and how to automate things. A link to the paper should be available in the show notes as usual. Thanks, everybody, for listening and talk to you again on Monday. Bye.